It's a brace for the 18-year-old and three points in the back for Chicago. Federico Navarro weaving his way through, and it's in. It falls for Shakiri. The Swiss international back onto the score sheet, and he doubles the fire lead. All right, football fans, welcome into episode 86 of the Intercontinental Football Show, brought to you by our proud sponsors, Revolution Brewing, the largest independent brewery in Illinois, with the Tap Room and Production Brewery in Avondale, and the original brew pub just down the road in Logan Square, the makers of Hazy Pitch, the makers of some fantastic beers outside of Hazy Pitch, along with the Freedom Session Sours, Freedom Lemonade, and oh so much more. And this is the first episode that we are recording since the World Cup has started. I'm your host, Tyler Terrence, the former voice of the Chicago Fire. And I think I could put that former in there uh, pretty emphatically at this point, given the fact that we're about a month removed from the last game that I called on WGN with Tony Miola. And joining me, of course, is our producer and um, host emeritus. I, I think that that might be a, a fair phrase. Uh, Emma McConnell is joining us as we're going to break down the first game for the U.S. men's national team. And... One quick announcement that I want to make at the top of the pot before we get into the knee-jerk reaction of the 1-1 draw between Wales and the U.S. We are going to be having a live recording of the Intercontinental Football Show following the Iran game in the final game of group stage play of Group B for the U.S. That is going to be at the fire pitch, the home for every single U.S. game, U.S. men's national team game during this World Cup, with the lone exception of Black Friday against England later on this week as we're recording this on a Tuesday morning following the nil-nil draw between Denmark and Tunisia. Tunisia, Tunisia, I was listening to the commentator say Tunisia the entire, the entire game, so I'm saying Tunisia now. But with all that said, live podcast, myself, Spencer Ritchie, at Fire Pitch. It is going to, of course, be littered with Hazy Pitch and Revolution Brewing. We are going to have an amazing time. We're going to have to do a live episode. We're going to hopefully break down the U.S. winning their game against Iran, getting into the knockout stage, and then, of course, previewing potentially who the U.S. might be playing in that knockout stage and not recapping them flaming out of the World Cup without re- reaching the knockout stage. But enough of that negativity. Just make sure that you know, immediately following the U.S. men's national team and Iran game, Live episode of the Intercontinental Football Show, breaking it down with Spencer Ritchie, who is a former youth international goalkeeper for the U.S. And, of course, had that fantastic start on the road against FC Cincinnati, in which the Fire won 3-2 this year. Proud new father, Spencer Ritchie, to a little baby girl. Um, But should be an awesome time. We encourage you guys to come out, watch the game, and then stick around. We're going to have fans ask some questions, uh, both about the U.S. men's national team, the World Cup in general, and all things football. But let's get into it now. First game for the U.S., of course, was yesterday, and it was against a Wales team that I think a lot of people thought that it would should be easier. Uh, you know, we, we're coming off of a morning in which Saudi Arabia beats Argentina by a score of 2-1, to one, so I think that one thing we can understand about the World Cup is that it's hard. These are the World Cup finals. If you've gotten this far, regardless of what region or what part of the world you're coming from, you are a good football team. Hard stop. There are some who are going to be better than others, but at the end of the day, this is the World Cup, and Argentina just got a full dose of it from Saudi Arabia, um, all refereeing blunders aside. However, this Wales team, I think, given the way that 
Wales played in the second half and given the way that the U.S. didn't play in the second half, I'm just going to give an overarching statement right now that might frustrate some people and say that it was a deserved result. It was a tale of two halves. I think that if you look at the way that the U.S. played in the first half, dominated for a young group, you couldn't really ask for much for much else in terms of the way that you started the game, the, the pace, the rhythm, how you were taking it to a, to a European team um, in the first game of a group stage uh, for a World Cup that, that nobody on this roster really has ever seen. Um, and the same goes for Wales, you know, their first first World Cup since 1964. But let's let's start with the starting 11. I did not have any problems with the starting 11 that Greg Berhalter rolled out. I think we all anticipated that once Tim Ream was on the flight to Qatar, that he was probably going to be starting alongside Walker Zimmerman. I think that we anticipated both Anthony Robinson and Sergino Dest were going to be our fullbacks. I think we anticipated that the midfield three, if Weston McKinney was fully fit, was going to look the way that it did with Tyler Adams. Um, and of course, Yunus Musa, And then the front three between Pulisic, Sargent, and Weah, I think, especially given the way that the game played out, Weah scoring, I think all of that made sense. Brendan Aronson's best position is in the middle of the field. I don't think that he is a true out-and-out winger. I think that he can do things for the U.S., and I think he can contribute in that role when he needs to. But when you're looking at that midfield three and how much they've played together for the U.S. so far and how much Greg... Um, likes them and has put so much responsibility on them. I think that if everybody was healthy, that was the three that you were going to see, regardless of how well Brandon Aronson has been playing for Leeds. So I did not have a single problem with the starting 11. And I think that that's, I think that going into a big game, that's, that's a rare thing for us men's national team fans to say, I know everybody's going to want to say something about Gio Reyna and trust me, we're going to get into that and plenty more uh, later on in this episode, but let's start with the starting 11. I did not have a problem with it. Emma McConnell, did you have any problem with the starting 11? No problem. No problem. I love it. So let's move on. Let's talk about the first half. Second youngest team at the World Cup. And I think in years past, um, U.S. teams could, they've been caught maybe not taking the game to the opposition, not being on the front foot, not imposing their will, and, and really just, you know, trying to play a little bit more direct, not trying to play their game. But I thought that the U.S., for what this team is, which is incredibly young and inexperienced at this level, and going up against the Wales side that does have some talent um, around around the United Kingdom and elsewhere, I thought that the U.S. could not have played any better. You pinned Wales back, Matt Turner didn't have anything to do, and you scored a goal in the first half of your first game of the World Cup for the second youngest team in the tournament. Couldn't ask for much more. Emma McConnell, do you disagree? No, do not disagree. I'm with you on all the points so far. This, this, I, I love it. Stay with me. Let's, let's see if we continue to agree. So let's head into the second half. Clearly, Daniel James was not, was not working at that striker position for Wales. So they decide to make a change. They bring on Kiefer Moore. And Kiefer Moore changed the game. And in addition to that, Wales woke up. And I think we all need to keep in mind, as important as this game is to American fans and, and missing out on the last World Cup and haven't been there in eight years. This Wales team hasn't been there in 60 years. And they're also experiencing their first World Cup, every single one of them. And I think that somebody said something in the locker room saying, you're getting outplayed by a bunch of teenagers. And this is the World Cup. This is what we fought for, went through hell and back for. And now... It's slipping out of your fingers. You're going to lose your first group stage game. And as we know from all the statistics that were said countless, countless times, if you win your first game in the group stage, you qualify for the knockout round 84% of the time. So 
Wales comes out, and guess what? They started to play some football. And we looked a little surprised by that, which obviously is not encouraging. However, again, young team with youth is going to come in experience and is going to come, and with that is going to come inconsistency. And I think that that's what you saw a little bit. I think you saw a team that was shell-shocked. I think Kiefer Moore changed the game. And credit to Wales, who I, I genuinely believe this, they are a solid, solid outfit. I, I do believe that. They can play some football. But I think if you asked every single U.S. men's national team fan, Emmett, to sign the dotted line on a 1-0 lead in the 70th minute against Wales, everybody's gnawing off their arm to show you the dotted line. It's, it's as simple as that, because if you're going up against, against a team like Wales and you have the lead in a World Cup and they're going to start to open themselves up, you know that there's going to be opportunities to kill off the game. That's just how this game works, and it's, and it's simply how things unfolded. So, again, 70 minutes in, Emmett, take away the fact that we're on the back heel and we're absorbing pressure because you knew that was going to happen for the first 15 minutes of the second half. You needed to take their best blow. You're signing up for a 1-0 lead going into the 70th minute, are you not? Yeah, give me that. World Cup lead, 100% of the time, 1-0 lead. I will take that. Okay. You're with me, though. Three for three right right now. Three Three for for three. three. All right. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking either, but stay with me. So now here, and and somebody asked me to give a one-word reaction to this game, and and I think frustrating was, was my answer. Now the the frustrating part started to come into play because after the 60th minute, you absorb their best blow and you're starting to think to yourself, okay, there's going to be chances going the other way. And in fact, there were. And I think the frustrating part was that the quality that we know exists within this team at an individual level didn't shine through the way that we wanted it to in some of those big moments. Like when Brendan Aronson got onto the field, and he was driving at this Wales back line after a turnover and after a counterattack that, you know, he wasn't playing that ball that you've seen him play countless times, countless times against or with leads, I should say. Christian Pulisic, when he gets into a dangerous area, you know that he's capable of spectacular delivery. You saw it in the first half and that picture perfect ball to Timothy Weah. But it started to elude him, the, the, the quality and the final pass. And I think what you started to see was a group that was, they were very aware of the situation that they were in, which was clinging onto a 1-0 lead at a major tournament, which nobody's ever done before. And again, it's, it's, you can blame it on COVID, and, and that is a real thing, but this group has not played in games with real juice behind them against quality opponents for a while in a, in a neutral or on-the-road environment. You play one against Mexico during World Cup qualifying. You played one against Canada. You you can now say that they're they're a very quali- that they're a big time side, um, having qualified for the World Cup since the first time since the eighties. But this group just hasn't had that sort of experience before, and you saw it, and you saw the mistakes, and you saw the lack of final product, and then you also saw a big time mistake from Walker Zimmerman. But we'll we'll get to the Walker Zimmerman thing in a minute. But first substitution off the bench for. Greg Berhalter in this World Cup. Brendan Aronson for Weston McKinney. McKinney was grabbing his groin or upper quad area, the one that had been bothering him with Juventus. Emmett McConnell, any problems with that substitution? No. And anything maybe even a little bit earlier, but I think that was the right move at probably around the right time. Okay, 66th minute. 
I, I think that it I think that it was good. You knew that Weston was was not a totally 90 minutes match fit at this point. He was carrying an injury. Bring on Brendan Aronson. You always knew that he was going to be one of your first substitutions. Next substitution coming in the 74th minute. Haji Wright for Josh Sargent. Again, I think that this is the right decision. Evan, I'm going to go with you here. I think that this was maybe a little bit on the later side as well, because once once you hit that 60-minute mark and you came away unscathed, I think that you needed to start to change the game, and I, I could have asked for maybe five to seven minutes earlier on this. You with me? Yeah, I'm with you so far. Okay. DeAndre Yedlin for Serginho Dest. Um, I also think that that was the right decision. And then Kalad Acosta for Yunus Musa. And a lot of people are not going to like that. And a lot of people maybe wanted to see Luca De La Torre in and get a foot on the ball and maybe somebody a little bit more technical because Wales were killing us possession-wise and we were struggling to get a foot on it. But at that point in the game, it was starting to become really stretched and you needed to just simply protect the back four. And now you're going to have basically two sixes in there with Adams and Kellen Acosta. And again, that is an explainable decision if you're Greg Berhalter. We have a 1-0 lead in a World Cup in the first game of the group stage. We bring on Kellen Acosta, who is a defensive specialist. I don't have a problem with that. In hindsight, and we're going to play Monday morning quarterback, and yeah, like we give up a goal eight minutes later, and then we end up with with both Adams and Kellen Acosta on the field while we're trying to chase the three points that we had in our hands. I can understand that argument, but again, it's it's hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't have any problems with any of the substitutions up until this point. Emmett McConnell, are you with me? Yeah, I mean, I... I I think it was a little defensive, a little early with those moves, but I'm fo- I'm follow you. I follow you. Wales goal, 86, uh, 82nd minute. Bale was clever getting in front of him. I- I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that. But the way that Tyler Adams played the entire game, which was just, he, he was a menace. He was incredible. I thought that he should have won man of the match, hands down. The way that he played, it really didn't, Len for Reem or Walker Zimmerman to have to do too much of that type of defending. Yes, once we started to get pinned back in the second half and the whole thing, you're dealing with a lot more deliveries. You're dealing with more set pieces, the whole thing. However, Tyler Adams did an excellent job of covering up for Reem and Zimmerman and like the lack of pace and the lack of ability to be able to cover ground in behind. And Zimmerman makes a mistake that as soon as it happened, every single U.S. men's national team fan around the country and around the world is just holding their breath, hoping that the referee is going to make a mistake. For whatever reason, he decides to make the right call. And penalty to bail. Turner guesses the right way, but the penalty is hit with too much pace, too much power. Um, buries it 1-1. Here's where I start to have an issue, Emmett. The, you... I, the goal was coming. Everybody could feel it. And again, it goes down to the, it, it comes back to the fact that we didn't take advantage of our opportunities in terms of killing off the game and getting the second. But now you're heading into the 88th minute, but it's not the 88th minute. It's effectively like the 78th or 79th it could, because we ended up having nine minutes of stoppage time. So you still have 10 minutes to go ahead and get a game winner. And the substitution that you bring on when the game is 1-1 and you feel as if you now you've lost two points and you want to go get the two points that, that are slipping through your fingers. Bring on Jordan Morris for Tim Way. Now, I don't, I, I, I want to be very careful about this because there's a couple of different levels to it. I'm okay with Gio Reyna not starting as long as he's given an opportunity to get into the game as a substitute and make an impact. Because you always knew that with Aronson, Reyna, and Weah, 
And depending on who's going to play on the wing and the whole thing, and if Aronson was going to come in for Weston McKinney, which he ended up doing, somebody was going to be left out. But Gio Reyna, I think that we can all agree, is the most technically proficient and different profile type of player that the U.S. have in the attacking third. We can all agree on that. And he's going to be sold for tens of millions of dollars to a big club either in January or in the summer transfer window. The man doesn't get on the field. He's been carrying injuries. He's been injury prone. Here's where I start to become very worried about what's happening in Qatar right now for the U.S. Greg Berhalter has asked after the game whether or not or why Gio Reyna did not play and why Jordan Morris was selected over him for that substitution in the 88th minute, which ended up being a 10-minute stint for Jordan Morris. And he said Gio was carrying some tightness in his hamstring, and we felt like Jordan Morris could give us some pace and some power in that situation. Fair. If you're protecting a player for injury, fine. To, to tournament. However, there's going to be some old school people and, and, and some people who are going to say this is the World Cup. What are you saving yourself for? If it's a 10-minute run, if you're not fit enough to play 10 minutes, then you know why were you why are you on the bench anyway? So that's that. Then Gio Reyna is asked how his fitness is and how he feels after the game. Says I'm 100 percent ready to go. Here's my problem, Emmett McConnell. There's a story at every World Cup. 2014, it was Tim Howard. Stood on his head against Belgium um, and and the U.S. And, I, you know, Michael Bradley was part of that story, too, in terms of, you know, his poor play. But th- there's a story at every World Cup, you know, when you're, when you're talking about your team. 2010, Landon Donovan, go, go, USA. Didn't play all that well, but still managed to get across the line and get into the round of 16. I am very concerned now that the story of this World Cup is going to it's going to start with this discord and this miscommunication between player and manager, and it's going to fester throughout the rest of the tournament. Because something doesn't line up here. Greg is saying that he's protecting Gio Reyna and that he felt like Jordan Morris was a better selection. I just want to make this very clear. I don't think in any one goal game, whether it's a tie game, whether the U.S. are up a goal or whether the U.S. are down a goal, I don't really see a scenario in where Jordan Morris is a better selection than Gio Reyna. That game was begging for a final pass and for somebody with real quality to come onto the field and to be able to pick out that final pass. Gio Reyna is that profile. And again, this is not just some kid you're bringing off the bench. This is arguably your your best attacking player and and in terms of both finishing off plays and setting up plays. And people can disagree with me and say that it's Christian Pulisic. I just don't think it is anymore. There is no scenario in which if he is healthy or healthy enough to play 10 minutes, that Jordan Moore should be selected over Gio Reyna. But this is all to say, and the reason why I kept checking in with you, Emmett, is because up until that moment, I don't think Greg Berhalter did anything wrong. I don't think he took a wrong step. Again, the substitutions outside of Reyna, or out, excuse me, outside of Jordan Morris, Probably could have happened a little bit earlier. That's the only thing. The starting 11, the game plan, the way that we wanted to exploit the space, starting Timmy Weah, I think everything was in place for us to get three points in this game. But now, now you have a real problem. And I don't know if this is Gio Reyna lying to the media and not saying that he had a hamstring knock. And, you know, if it is a hamstring thing and, and it's one of those soft tissue things where it, it, three days can be a huge difference and you want him ready to potentially start against England, then fine. But he and Burhalter have to be on the same page with that. 
because now Rain is shrugging his shoulders after the game and saying, I was good to go. I don't know why I wasn't put in. And Burhalter saying, well, he's carrying a knock and we thought that Jordan Morris was a better selection. Only one of those two things are true. I don't know if both of them are. So that, that for me was like the most frustrating part outside of the lack of quality in the attacking third. But again, all the credit in the world to Wales, who I thought played a phenomenal second half and, and gave us everything that we could deal with and then some. I think that you saw the youth of this team. I thought, thought you saw the inexperience of this team. Walker Zimmerman going into a reckless challenge that did not need to happen. There's no need to go to ground there with his back to goal. It's reckless. I don't think he'll make that mistake again in the tournament. I hope, I hope that he doesn't. But it's, but it's the discord between Burhalter and Reyna and not putting in Reyna, even if you're, he's only going to give you 10 minutes. Again, if he's not 10 minutes fit, he should not be on the bench. Put somebody else there. If he's not 10 minutes fit, there's no reason to have him there. Emma McConnell, thoughts? I'm with you. I think that, if anything, there's probably a bit of a miscommunication where maybe Burhalter didn't realize, maybe he heard Reyna say there was some tightness and that thought that meant... He wasn't ready. Uh, I My biggest criticism was just when he brought on the three changes. It felt like it was, let's shut, let's just shut up shop. And it was the 70th minute, 20 minutes to go. He brought on Haji Wright, DeAndre Edlin, and Kellen Acosta. And I think that that kind of, you, okay, you got your outlet in Haji Wright. You got more defensive fullback. And now you're switching to the double pivot. It didn't work. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. tried to defend. And you could Listen, you could say the goal was coming, but if the U.S. didn't give away that penalty... It's like Matt Turner had what one save, like that wasn't you know an easy basket catch. Yeah. So I'm going to let Burhalter slide on this one. I think the inexperience goes farther than just the players. I think he's got a little bit that he's learning Agreed. here. Totally agree. And yeah, I'm hoping. I'm because it happens in the World Cup all the time. Think about 2010 with Spain. They lost the opening game to Switzerland. And everyone thought, oh man, this great Spanish team. Look what's happening. I'm hoping Walker Zimmerman comes out and ends up having a career, a, a, a amazing World Cup, and go, U.S. goes on a big run, and everyone thinks back and says, man, Walker Zimmerman, he was so good. But remember in that first game, he gave away that penalty? Yeah, but other than that, he was great. That's how I'm kind of hoping we will remember this World Cup, because a lot of times in that first game, you can forget things, because it's so much more to come after this. Yeah. And, and Argentina is probably thinking the same, you know, they want the same thing to be happening after their loss against Saudi Arabia. I do, I, you know, thank you for making that point about Greg, because I failed to make that in my rant is that he's in his, he's managing his first world cup too. And if you think that the emotion and the gravity of a situation at the world cup doesn't get to a manager, you're, you're fooling yourself because you could tell in certain moments that like, maybe he was overthinking a couple of things like the Jordan Morris thing. I, when it comes down to the Reina, when the Reina thing, like whether or not he misheard him, like that conversation needs to be both of them sitting down, looking each other in the eye. How many minutes can you give me? I can give you 45 to, I can give, or I can give you 10 to 45. Okay, great. There's, there cannot be any miscommunication between those two in terms of what Reina is actually capable of doing. The miscommunication lied in terms of how those two handled their responsibilities with the media. Um, and I'm not pinning that like on the communications department, the U.S. It simply was two individuals who decided to say something um, that that maybe wasn't in line with what I, what actually was true. So, with all that said, I, I, I you know, I mean, I, I want to try to stay positive about this, but now you're going up against an England team who absolutely decimated Iran, and you know, Iran's not exactly a uh, you know, they're they're not a team that's littered with Ballon d'Or winners or or, or nominees, but um, they look sharp. 
They looked really, really sharp, you know, gave up a couple of goals, but attacking wise, the mix of both experience with Harry Kane up top and the whole thing. And then, you know, throwing in the, and, and Raheem Sterling and then throwing in the likes of Mason Mount um, and Jude Bellingham and Bukayo Saka. Like I thought that they were, I thought that they were brilliant. And this is going to be a real, real challenge. And now you're basically hoping for a draw between Wales and Iran. You need to get something out of the England game potentially and if you lose, then you have to hope that Wales is 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 also going to lose, and then you need to beat up on Iran in the final game of the final game of the group. So what it does is that it basically it ensures that the final game of the group stage is going to mean something no matter what. But what it also does is it gives you a little bit of a sour taste. But I'm with you. I mean, I mean, I think that we're we're one Walker Zimmerman moment of calm and and reason away from having three points and winning the first game of the group stage. But that's simply not the way that it unfolded. And this game is fickle, and we all know that. But the 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 youth and the immaturity of this group shown through, unfortunately, for you know during that second half. And um, you know, the, in terms of other games that have gone on around the World Cup so far, again, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. Mexico and Poland is about to come up. Uh, Shemiswap Frankowski making an appearance on the bench for Poland. Uh, so hopefully, we get an appearance from Frankie as they're uh, looking to take down El Tree. Um, Senegal and Netherlands, I thought was a great game. Netherlands end up uh, winning that game, but Senegal put up a really, really good fight. I thought the Qatar Ecuador game was really bizarre. The opening moments and the controversy with the VAR and the whole thing, but, um, Qatar looked really, really, really poor, like just not up for it. Looked like a team that probably would have gotten battered on a number of occasions in world cup qualifying. And that's probably because they would have, if they had to endure world cup qualifying, but as the host, they did not, um, Saudi Arabia, 2-1 winners over Argentina. Plenty of controversy. At, at least one of those offside goals for Argentina should not have been called off. But credit to Saudi Arabia because that second goal was an absolute banger. Um, and that's what the World Cup is all about, uh, save for the VAR issues. And then uh, Denmark and Tunisia finish up with a nil-nil draw. Tunisia looked up for it. Denmark, obviously, you know, they have a lot of talent. I think that two-thirds of two-thirds of the field is really sharp for them, but the attacking third um was lacking some quality and some ingenuity. Um, and we're and we're just gonna continue to roll through this thing. I mean, I, I must say it is a very bizarre feeling with Thanksgiving coming up and turkeys, you know, being prepped and the World Cup going on. But um, I'm currently in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I am enjoying every single moment uh, with my family, my nephew, my new niece, who was born a couple of days ago. Uh, this has been uh, an awesome experience so far to experience the World Cup at this time of the year. Um, it is bizarre. But um, other than that, I, I am I am very cautiously excited and I'm not optimistic about the England game. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But I am. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to at least sitting down and watching how this whole thing is going to unfold because their quality in the attacking third is just, it's pretty incredible. And I don't, I don't know exactly how we're going to deal with that, but this is, uh, this is what it's all about. And this is, this is the big test that everybody's been waiting for. How about 2010, that golden generation? So, uh, so they say of England, Gerard Lampard, Rooney, how did that one yeah, but go? Who was starting, who was starting up top of them? Was it Danny Welbeck? Don't don't disrespect Danny Welbeck. I'm just the saying legend Danny Welbeck. I'm just saying that Harry Kane is a different proposition, and their wing play. Listen, the middle of the field for that group um, was was quite sensational with Stevie G and Lampard. But um, up top, it 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 lacks. It, there was something to be desired, and I don't think there's anything left to be desired with this group. They're they are class, and I want Jude Bellingham in a Liverpool kit tomorrow. 
that dude is special. He is really, really, really. I mean, he looks like a seasoned vet. What is he, 19? Kid's incredible. I want him on my team now. Since you asked, I'm going to follow through on this. Uh, starting up top was Wayne Rooney and Emil Heskey, the legend. Emil Heskey? Uh New York Red Bull legend Sean Wright Phillips came on. James Milner started. John Terry, of course, the legend Robert Green that all U.S. fans will know. Aaron Lennon, who retired last week. Jamie Carragher, Steven Gerrard, Glenn Johnson, and Ashley Cole. Mm. So, yeah. uh, And it looks like Frank Lampard as well starting in that one. So yeah, the layout's a little weird on this. But yeah. some some big names there and some ones that, yeah, they had no Harry Kane up top. But they did have Emil Heskey. Stop it. Just stop it right now. You're proving my point even further. Um, anyway, folks, we hope you enjoyed this uh, this knee-jerk reaction and uh, U.S. Men's National Team episode of the Intercontinental Football Show. Um, we are patiently awaiting the first game for Zerd and Shakiri in Switzerland in this World Cup. And again, we're hoping to see a, a big performance from Shemislav Frankowski. By the time that you're listening to this, uh, that game will have concluded. But we appreciate you tuning in to the Intercontinental Football Show brought to you by our dear, dear friends over at Revolution Brewing. And we will talk to you later this week. Enjoy the tournament, everyone. And happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.